0: Is he worthy of honor and glory? He is. Welcome to the worship of our worthy God. We're glad that you could join us this day. I sure hope that uh, you were with us last week. I know that a bunch of you were because, man, this place was packed out. I can't remember in my 36 years here a kickoff Sunday that was more inspiring, more energized than the one that we shared last week together. The place was packed out. The energy was through the roof, the worship, the music, the baptisms, the food. I know all of you took advantage of the bouncy houses afterwards. Uh, it was all pretty awesome. A young man who, in the course of the sermon, gave his life to Christ and came up and asked to be baptized and was baptized in his street clothes. That's pretty fun, isn't it? And, uh, and I, for me, a personal highlight was when I got to sit down with the kids and have a sermon together over here. We were packed in together. There's a picture of us. I loved it when some of them were putting their hands on my head to, to bless me, and uh, the blessings of those little ones, that means a lot. A bunch of us have been praying, I hope all of you, for a revival. I don't know, last Sunday tasted a little bit like some revival to me. I don't know about, about you. So this morning we continue in our uh, launch of our new and exciting program year, and I want to tell you a story that some of you might have heard before. About 20 years ago, I was invited to speak at a conference in Texas. And I took my whole family along. And we were going to stay with a pastor who was a friend of mine and whose house I had only visited one time. Our flight was delayed. The car rental was delayed, so by the time that we rolled up to the house, it was late and it was dark, and we had two exhausted kids and two exhausted parents. I went, to, uh, I went to the door and knocked several times, and to my frustration and consternation, there was no answer. So I called my 10-year-old daughter Rachel over, and I said, Rachel, I want you to knock on this door and keep knocking until someone answers, and I'm going to go and unload the car. So Rachel eagerly and dutifully jumped in and began to pound away on the door as I returned to the car. But a few moments later, I heard a plaintive Daddy! And I looked over, and there stood a confused and angry man in his pajamas whom I had never met before in my life. We were at the wrong house at two o'clock in the morning, But Rachel had fulfilled her assignment to pound on that door until she finally got an answer. This morning we discover a woman with the same kind of persistence as Jesus teaches us a parable on prayer, and I want us to unpack it together as we continue in our journey through the wonderful gospel of Luke. So turn with me to Luke chapter 18, very first verse. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And Jesus told them in a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man... Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And Jesus said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? This is the word of the Lord. We kind of switched things up a little bit. Last week, we actually looked at a, the next part of this chapter because the passage about kids was so perfect for a Sunday where we were focused on kids, but we looked at what I described as the uniquely Christian doctrine. What was that doctrine? Grace. Say grace. Grace. Grace is God's undeserved favor, and it is a uniquely Christian doctrine. Every other religion teaches us that we must earn God's love. Jesus teaches us that God loves us already just the way we are, and He comes to us with the offer of salvation. That is grace. But chapter 18, where we are today, begins with a story of grit. So I think it's actually a combination of grit and grace in this chapter. Today it's about toughness, it's about resilience, it's about persistence, it's perseverance, it's grit. The woman in this story had grit, and Jesus Jesus uses this parable to teach us about prayer. In fact, Luke tells us exactly what Jesus hoped to Derive from this parable with verse 1. Luke tells us that Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Pray and never lose heart. Pray and never give up. Never stop pounding on heaven's door no matter what. That is grit. The setting is a courtroom. The first player is a judge, and he is not a nice guy. He is corrupt. He is immoral. He is self-serving. He abuses his power. He has no respect for God, no no, respect, no fear of God, no respect for humanity. And we assume that he is taking advantage of his authority to line his pockets and benefit his allies as unjust judges can do. Justice is the last concern on this guy's mind, and that's character A. Character B is a woman and already She is at a disadvantage in her patriarchal society. Ordinarily, it would be a man who was making an appeal before a judge, but she is a widow, and apparently a widow who doesn't even have sons to make her case. So there is no man to plead her case, so she has to make her own appeal. She has been wronged, and it appears significantly wrong. Someone has abused her, and she wants vindication, and she has no one to advocate for her. So she appears before the judge and she seeks justice, vindication. But we are told she's denied. In fact, the Greek word that describes this is, suggests that not only does the judge not help her, he has no interest. He has no intention of ever helping her. Perhaps because he knows that she's never going to give him the kind of bribe that he requires. Perhaps her adversary was one of his political cronies whatever it is, she comes before him for justice, and what she gets is a big, fat, forget about it. A big, fat, forget about it. But she doesn't forget about it. She tries again, and he denies her again. And on and on she goes. It's like Rachel pounding on that stranger's front door. This woman hounds this judge relentlessly. He denies her again. She doesn't give up. She comes back again, demands justice again, is denied again but as one commentator put it, she is like dripping water on the sandstone. She will not relent. She has, in other words, what? Grit. She has grit. And finally, the judge cries, uncle. He has a conversation with himself. He says, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. That phrase, beat me down, means literally just that. It is an ancient boxing term that depicts a face that is swollen and discolored by blows. That is the word that he uses about what she is doing to him. So the literal translation might be, she is beating me black and blue and will be the end of me. And so, despite his consuming self-interest and indifference, because this widow will not let him off the mat, he finally surrenders and gives her justice. And it's a fun story. It's the image of this helpless woman who is haranguing a, a powerful, corrupt judge until he capitulates. It's very satisfying, isn't it? It's also a little bit disturbing when you think about it, because this is a parable about prayer? And if it is, then whom does that correct, uh, corrupt judge represent in the story? Ooh, God, right? One of my life group members said, are you saying that we just keep pounding on God until finally we, we wear Him down? That's a great question, and Jesus goes on to answer it in verse 6. Jesus said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to His elect?" who cry to Him day and night. Will He delay long over them? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Obviously, Jesus isn't saying that God is unrighteous. This parable is what is known as a lesser to greater parable. Luke actually has several of them in his gospel, a lesser to greater parable. And And the point of this kind of parable is this, if this unrighteous judge is willing to give justice, then how much more will our great God give justice to those who cry to Him? The lesser to the greater. The main point of the parable then is not the character of the judge, the main point is the persistence of the widow, the fact that she would not give up her grit And I refer you back to the opening verse. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. I think those are the two points for us today out of this story. Pray always, do not lose heart. Pray, don't give up. Pray, don't stop praying. Pray, no matter how hopeless or helpless it might appear. Pray, pound on heaven's door. Don't let God rest. Pester Him with your prayers until you get your way. And I know that sounds a little uncomfortable to some of us Christian types. I mean, it doesn't quite sound right. Shouldn't we trust that God's God's ways are best? Yes, of course. Shouldn't we submit to whatever God hands out to us? Yes, of course. Shouldn't we pray like Jesus did, Thy will be done? Yes, of course, I guess. And yet, here in this teaching... Jesus seems to be saying, I want you to have grit. I want you to have resilience. I want you to pray and keep on praying. Night and day, keep on praying and never give up. Jesus is teaching us here in this parable to pray constantly and pray hopefully. Pray constantly, pray hopefully. First of all, constantly. Verse one says we ought to always pray. It sounds like what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians when he said, Pray without ceasing. I remember hearing this verse when I was a young man. I thought, how do you do this? How do you just keep this running dialogue with God? A constant conversation when I'm on the car, I should in the car I should be talking to God all the time. And and how do I pray without ceasing when I'm talking with another person? What, what does it mean to pray constantly? Well, at least it means probably more than we already pray. Right? I mean, at least probably more than we already pray. How about us start there? Is there anyone here this morning who would say, I pray enough? I talk to God enough. I I listen to God enough. I, I doubt anyone would say that. I sure wouldn't say that. But I don't think Paul or Jesus are saying that we need to carry on a running dialogue with God. I think that what they are saying is that our lives ought to be constantly attuned to God, aware of God constantly aware of His presence, that prayer and worship ought not to be limited to a one-hour nod to God on a Sunday morning. What if we were so constantly aware of God's presence that we knew we could speak to Him at any moment in the day, and He would there, be there to answer in an instant, like Alexa, <laughs> only a, a holy Spirit filled Alexa, not a direct line to the Chinese Communist Party or whatever, wherever it goes. But really, isn't this what Paul is saying? It's something like this. Any moment we can say, Alexa, and she lights up and, and she's listening and she's ready to respond to our requests in a way that even five years ago we couldn't have conceived. Alexa, turn on the lights. Alexa, turn on the stove. Alexa, turn on my bluegrass music. Make it quieter. Make it louder. Alexa, open the door. Alexa, make me a margarita. (laughs) All right, that one she's not doing yet, but it's only a matter of time. You wait and see. Frankly, Cindy and I find it creepy. I, I know some of you live right into that. Cindy and I find it creepy. We, in fact, unplug her because we don't like her listening in on everything we say. But it is an imperfect image of, I think, what God wants in His relationship with us, isn't it? He is always listening. He is always ready. He is always eager to hear from us. And what if our prayer life looked more like that? Less like a a minute in the morning and a, a minute at night, and more like an ongoing conversation throughout the day, where instead of crying out, Alexa, we say, Jesus, Lord, thank You for that sunset. Lord Jesus, I'm so nervous about this conversation I'm about to have. Lord Jesus, that poor man, he looks like he's in pain. Shall I pray for him? Lord Jesus, I'm afraid to open this letter what it will say. Lord Jesus, please draw my wayward child to Yourself. I think that is what we are getting to when we talk about praying without ceasing. We're trying to do that more as a church. This is one of our goals as a church, that we'd be a more prayerful church, praying for revival. Every morning, many of you are already getting a prompt for a prayer for revival. If you're not getting it, it is such a great encouragement coming right from your church, and I'd urge you to sign up for it. Every Tuesday night, our deacons and pastors meet to pray for our church and our community. I got a call from a man the other day. He was so grateful. He had just gotten word that he had to have quintuple bypass surgery, and he and his wife went Tuesday night because they heard that there was going to be prayer. He had not slept in days because of his anxiety. He was prayed for in that ministry that night, and he said the next day, he said, that was the first night of sleep I've had in days. And in fact, one of the members of that prayer team showed up at the hospital to pray for him that next morning, and he is doing Terrifically. That's the ministry of prayer that we want to be a part of. We are having these regular nights of prayer uh, and worship throughout the year. Do do we really think as a church that we are going to live the the lives that God intends for us to live, that we're going to have the impact upon our community that God intends for us to impact? If, If we don't learn to pray more than once or twice in a week, pray constantly, Jesus is saying. We ought always to pray, Jesus is saying. And then, secondly, and pray hopefully. And that's the other half, that's the gritty half. We ought always to pray and not to lose heart. That's the grit part. And honestly, beloved, I think we are not very resilient prayers. We pray for a while, and then if we don't get what we want in pretty quick fashion, we wither, we lose heart. Jesus wants us to be gritty prayers, to pound and pound and pound away until we get what we've asked for. That's what this parable teaches. I know that there's not a lot of nuance to it, but that is what this parable teaches. This is what Jesus wanted us to hear in this moment. God apparently welcomes our gritty, resilient, unrelenting, persisting prayers, and He answers them faithfully. And He says, quickly although probably never as quickly as we wish, we are an impatient people. In other words, I think pray and don't stop praying. Pray and don't stop praying. Beloved, pray and don't stop praying. Don't stop praying for your marriage. Are you praying for your marriage? Don't stop praying for your marriage. Depending upon the statistics you believe, the average marriage in the United States has between a 25 and a 50% chance of ending in divorce. Did you know what the divorce rate is for couples that pray together daily? Less than 1%. Yes, you ought to gasp at that. Apparently, the couple that prays together does stay together. Are you praying for and with your spouse every day? Don't stop. Don't stop praying for your kids. If ever there was going to be prayer for our kids, don't stop praying today for our kids. This culture is trying to steal them away. For the friends that they are making, for the things that they are learning, for the teachers from whom they are learning those things. Pray that we would that they would love God, pray that they would keep loving His church when they walk out our doors to college, pray that they would remain faithful while they are at college, pray that they would marry a godly person who will adore them and champion them. I still pray every day for a 4G man for my daughter. In fact, this was her birthday. This last week was her birthday, and I reminded her I'm still praying for her 4G man, godly, good, generous, and a golfer. Those are my four prayers for my daughter. It is the perfect combination And I believe God has her. My faith has that guy waiting for her. And I'm just asking the Lord to pick up the pace. (laughs) Are you praying for your kids every day? Don't stop. Don't stop praying for your grandchildren. Especially this congregation. I want you to hear this. Don't stop praying for your grandchildren. Are you? The other day I was sitting in the living room and our Cece was there. She was at play. And while she was there, I was we were in parallel play, or actually parallel pray. She was playing, and I was praying. I was praying my prayer list out loud. I do that. And she stopped her play, which was uncommon, and she looked at me. She said, Papa, what are you doing? And I said, I'm praying. Shushu, I'm talking to God about people. I said, do you want me to pray for you? She said, yes. So she got up from her toys. She walked over she climbed up on the couch. She nestled in next to me. She leaned her head on on my shoulder and closed her eyes and waited for her papa to pray, and he did. Do you pray for your grandkids? Don't you dare stop. And while you're at it, get signed up for that legacy grandparenting event that's coming in October. How could you not want to know what part you can play in helping make sure that your kids are with you someday in heaven? Don't stop praying for your neighbors. Don't stop praying for your community. Don't stop praying for your elected officials. I share the following with permission. Last week, I asked to meet with our city mayor. I knew that she was under a lot of pressure, that there have been a lot of rumors flying around, and I thought that rather than add one more email to her list of emails, I would ask to meet with her. Had no idea whether she'd be available or not. Immediately she got back, wanted to meet with me that day. And so when she walked into my office, I said, leadership is tough, isn't it? How are you doing? And then I listened to her heart, the heart of a godly Christian woman who feels called to lead the city and who faces incredible pressure and incredible misunderstanding from both sides. And at the end of an hour of listening, I said, could I pray for you? And she could not say yes fast enough. Do you pray for our elected officials? Don't stop. Don't stop praying for revival. Don't stop praying for revival. A few weeks ago, we had one of our prayer times for revival, the 27th, I think it was, hundred and twenty of you came, and it was powerful, truly. It was awesome. But that morning, I challenged all of you to be there that night. So where were the other eight hundred of you? I'm not kidding. Do you not care that God would bring revival upon this land? Do you not think that this land needs a touch from the Lord? And if we don't have that touch, that we are headed in a disastrous direction, who is going to turn that around if it is not Almighty God? And how will that come unless the people of God pray and ask Him to revive us? Our next revival prayer night is October 1st, two weeks away. I want all of you to be there. I think that's pretty clear. Do you pray for revival, don't stop. And don't stop praying for your miracle. That thing that you long for, that thing you've asked God for, the thing he still has not given you, pray for it. For your healing, for their healing, for deliverance, for unbelieving loved one to come to Jesus. One of my life group members shared a story this week of his grandma, who was an avowed atheist. She had suffered much as a child, been abused terribly, and became not only an unbeliever, she became a militant atheist because what God could allow to happen, what had happened to her. But her daughter was a believer, and she prayed for her. She prayed every day for her. She prayed every day for decades for her, without apparent effect. Grandma would show up at church for special events, but it only became a stage, an opportunity for her to reaffirm what she thought to be the folly of all of this religious nonsense. And yet the daughter kept praying daily. And decades passed. Decades passed. And finally, Grandma was in her last days, and the family was seated around her bed And as she was in a state of unconsciousness, they witnessed what seemed to be an animated conversation that she was carrying on with someone. And when she woke up, they asked her about it. And she said, you know, he is in charge. And they asked her to clarify. She said, dog is in charge. And she was confused. She got her words reversed. And they said, did you mean... God is in charge? And she said, yes, and smiled. And then she said, I'm going to fly away with the angels tonight. And within hours, she was gone. But what a gift to that family, and what a gift especially to that daughter who never gave up praying for her stubborn atheist mom. And ultimately, she saw the answer to those gritty prayers. Don't stop praying for your miracle. I have a friend who has a favorite expression. He talks about how soft we are as a generation, as a people, how soft we are. And he's half joking, but he's only half joking. I think he's half right. I think we have become soft, and I think we are raising a soft generation, honestly. And what about us church people? What about us believers? Are we any tougher? Are we resilient and enduring and persisting in our prayers and in our witness and in our faithfulness to God and to His church and to His mission? Perhaps that grittiness starts with gritty prayer. Pray constantly. Pray hopefully. Don't stop praying. Never, 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 give up. And so we pray, O God, we lift our hearts to You this day, this moment. Most of us, I suspect, we are convicted by this Word. Most of us, I suspect, would admit that we don't pray constantly and in some instances have lost hope in our prayers which means we've really lost hope in you, forgive us. And even in this moment, we want to repent and turn around and come toward you in prayer. We want to pray and not stop. We want to pray and not stop hoping. May your Spirit be at work in us, for we know that all good changes in our lives start with your Holy Spirit. Would you stir in us the longing to be in your presence Would you stir in us the confidence that you are there as quick as our thoughts that call upon you, ready, eager, waiting. Imagine that the God of the universe is on tenterhooks waiting to hear from us. May we realize what an honorable invitation that is. And may we take it more and more and more, becoming a prayerful, gritty, hopeful, persistent people. For we ask all of this in the name of Jesus who taught us to do this. Amen.
1: Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.
0: Some of you might be saying, does it really make a difference? My meager prayers, do they really make a difference at all? Charles Spurgeon, who was the great 19th century English preacher once said, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the omnipotence of God. Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the omnipotence of God. And if we're going to trust Jesus, well, that's what he said in this parable today. So what's the next step, the next prayer step that you might take? Pray with your spouse today for the first time in years. Pray for that grandchild. Join us Tuesday night in the prayer chapel at 6 o'clock for prayer. Is that right, 6 o'clock? Sharon? Yep. Join us October 1st, all of us. I know all of us. No one will dare not be there. We're going to take pictures, and then I'm going to compare them next Sunday to, to the. To the no. Pray without ceasing. Pray, hopefully that is, the call, of Jesus upon our lives today. Following this service, if you are new with us, we'd love to meet you. Pastor Rachel will be in the back by the wood wall there to, make your acquaintance, but. Every Sunday we end in the same way because we know it's not a matter of gritting our teeth and trying harder. It's a, about the work of the Spirit in our lives. And so raise your hands and let's get a refill. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His perfect peace, both now and forevermore, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said.